All right, Matthew chapter 13. And keep on going through the book of Matthew. And uh, just so happened to be 13 that I fell on, and it just so happened to be a passage that I taught on on a Sunday a year and a half ago. That's a coincidence. So uh, I tried not to repeat the same message. But there's some overlap. What do you want from me? I'm only human. Those thoughts are still rattling around inside my brain. So um, let's go ahead and begin with a, a prayer. We'll see what happens. Most gracious Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for this evening that we have together. I pray, Lord, your blessing upon it. Lord, that you would speak to us through it. Um, it's always just a blessing to get together with our brothers and sisters to open up your word, to see what you would have to say to us personally and specifically. And Lord, I know that you do just have something for each one of us here tonight. So I pray, Lord, that, you know, we would be opening, we would be just be open to receive that message from you that, uh, you know, we'd be willing to remove those obstacles that might hinder it, you know, from taking root in our heart. And Lord, I thank you for it. I ask all this in your name, Jesus name. Amen. Amen. So Matthew 13, let's begin with the first three verses. So the same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large, large crowds, it's a rough time already, gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. And then he told them many things in parables. So this begins the, the parables portion uh, of the book of Matthew. We're going to be talking about a few parables in the next uh, you know, couple of weeks together here. And, uh, and they're great. I love these parables, right? They're, they're these simple stories that have these profound spiritual truths. And, and they, they stick with you, and you're able to, to mull them over and consider the, the weight of them. And then they're slowly revealed, and you get these amazing treasures from them and and we get to really you know uh, consider one of the most well known tonight certainly one of my most uh, favorite so that's what we're going to do uh, we're going to read it and then I'm not going to talk about it at all <laughs> because he explains it later so we're just going to read it and then uh, discuss some general things about parables um so in verse 13 he began this parable saying a farmer went out to sow to sow his seed and as he was scattering the seed. Some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil and sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, uh, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, um, which grew up and choked the plants. Some are and still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop a hundred sixty or thirty times what was sown, and he who has ears let him hear so simple story, but it's not for the lazy 
right? You actually have to do some work and think about it. And up until this point, Jesus has been very direct and forthright about what he says. And there's not a lot of ambiguity to it. But in these parables, there's uh, all kinds of stuff to to uh, to sift through and, and sort out as you wrestle with the truths hidden uh, within them. And and that's the wonderful things about, thing about this. You know, the, the, as complex as they can be, uh, they don't wear out their welcome because the imagery of them sticks with you long enough for you to sort out the details of them, right? And, and Jesus, being the great teacher, knew how to masterfully utilize these devices. You know, I, I think about uh, one of the first messages I ever gave, right? I was a, I was a young Michael, and, um, and I was teaching, and I was, I was 16, 17 or something like that. I needed an illustration to... Uh, to accompany this point in the message, and the point was all about habitual sin, right? And and you, when you're teaching to to high schoolers about habitual sin, you know it's one of those things they just flip a switch and they don't want to pay attention to it anymore because that sounds like heavy and weighty, and no one wants to be called out on their sin, right? So, um, thinking, okay, so how am I going to illustrate this this thing that keeps on coming up in your life? How am I going to paint a picture of this, something that'll stick with them, something that'll be, you know, substantive, that'll impact them, uh, you know, and, and, and the, the only thing that came to mind uh, was to talk about a toilet that I plugged up as, as a little kid in a hotel, and, and I, I shared this story, and it was gross and graphic, and I was rebuked by every adult present, and, and I, I was talked to by parents for the weeks and months uh, to, to come after that. Um, and told not to that it wasn't appropriate for a preacher to talk about bowel movements uh, at church, let alone from the pulpit slash music stand. Uh, but but you know the incredible thing about that is was ten years after that that gross message, I was at I was at a funeral actually, and and uh, you know this this young man who was just a child, you know ten years before, it came up to me and gave me a hug at his brother's funeral. And said there were there were many a tear filled night where they would talk about sin in their lives honestly and openly, and they would come to each other and they would say, "You know brother you 've got something resurfacing in your toilet and and you 've got to get to work doing the the hard labor of unplugging your soul and and, and, and you know it 's gross and it 's disgusting, but these things they have a way of standing out in our soul and sticking with us going the distance with us and teaching these incredible and very impacting lessons to us. Jesus began to package these profound points and glorious pearls in these parables before he would dispense them out to the crowd. And, and, and I love what he says about it. He, he explains it, beginning in verse 10. The disciples came to him and they said, Why do you speak to the people in parables? And he said, The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and he uh, will have an, an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. This is why I speak to them in parables. And we're going to consider more of what he says there later. But he's saying, listen, you know, I, all, all these people, and it seemed like, especially at this point in the ministry of Christ, there were so many people that were following after him uh, to, to have food for, for, their, for, their, you know, for their bellies and healing for their bodies. 
And, and, and so he, he takes this great spiritual truth and he casts it out to a very shallow crowd. And he says, if you want to, you can admire it simply for its wrapping paper. Right? And you can do that. And, and what a tragedy that, that would be. You know, I think about every, every Christmas, you know, when, when Christmas rolls around and Corinne will beautifully wrap up a present. And, and I could stand there staring at the wrapping of it and go, oh, what a glorious box this is and how shiny and glittery and beautiful and lovely. And, and he says, if that's all you want, then that's fine. Just take that. But if you're willing to consider it and the weight and magnitude of it, you can tear open it you, and you can receive a bounty from it. And, and he began to, to place parables uh, upon his people to weed out and to, to separate the superficial from the serious and to reward the attentive. And he begins to say in this verse 13, this is why I speak to them in parables, though seeing they do not see, though hearing they do not hear or understand. And in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah you will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears. They close their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. For I tell you the truth, many prophets and righteous men long to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. You know, it's amazing uh, to think uh, that, that some people could come in and out of church, they could hear everything about who Jesus is, right? And then they could leave and be on their merry way completely unaffected by it and, and i'll tell you it would be it would be impossible to believe if i if i hadn't have lived it and, and if i don't often fall into it uh, and 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 even to consider the 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 context of it because jesus is saying this he's right there in front of them I mean, here's a man that's just done incredible miracles, has cast out demons and healed all manner of, of illness, you know, and here's a man that's, that's calmed storms and, 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 and delivered the greatest sermons that have ever fallen upon the ears uh, of a human being, and, and, and they see, but they don't see. And they hear, but, but, they, don't, but they don't hear. And there's this disturbing contradiction about it, that we have the ability to show up and be present and yet to not be impacted whatsoever. Jesus says, you know, Moses, Jeremiah, Isaiah, David, none of them saw what you see. None of them know what we know. And it's so easy to not let that affect our lives as profoundly as it ought to not walk in light of that as we ought, to, to just, you know, smile and nod and then to, to go on about our business and, and, and busy ourselves in the world. This is the great thing. Jesus says in verse 16, you will be profoundly blessed if you don't do that. If you use your ears 
the way you were intended to. If you use your eyes to see as they should. To see past everything that is plainly visible. To, to, to hear past the noise of this world and to listen for the whisper of his voice. So you would be so blessed. You'd be so blessed if you just do that. And God is always there. Right? We don't always see him. And God is always speaking. And a lot of times I'm just not hearing him. But verse 16 is true every time. I'm always blessed when I do. And you know what? As I sat down and, and I was thinking about all these things and working on this message, I began to think, I'm so blessed every time I do. And it's so easy to. It's not as if it's difficult to see God. It's not as if it's difficult to hear God. I just don't do it because I'm so preoccupied with everything else. Because I'm so busy looking at everything else and busying myself with everything else and listening to everything else. And, 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 and I'm, I'm so busy with my, my schedule that I neglect to see what is really special and significant. And, and I begin to wonder why so often it takes a tragedy, something catastrophic and heavy to bring me to the place where I'm really ready to see him, where I'm really wanting to hear from him because it shouldn't, right? It, it shouldn't necessitate something that devastating. And, and I was working back there in my little office nook and uh, in our house. Um, and I begin to think that, that, you know what, a lot of times I think that I just, I listen to God exactly like, like I listen to my wife when she comes back and she talks to me in the office nook, right? Um, because I, I come home usually uh, around eight or nine, right? And it's been a long day. And, you know, I've been working all day at my job and then I come home and I, I got to work on other things. So usually I come in and I'm like, hey, honey, you know, how you doing? And, and she's talking and I'm still just walking right past her. And, and I go to my office nook and I jump on the computer and, and I'm doing this, this project with, with John Gialli, right? And he's the lead guitar player, amazing guy. He's, he's got all these radio, I don't know if I've even talked to you about this, Gil, but you'd be interested in it. Uh, none of the rest of you, you just you can go on sabbatical for a moment, but Gil and I, uh, <laughs> but, but he, he edits these little radio programs and he asked me if I could write little intros for them and stuff like that. So I'm doing that with him and so I'm back at the computer and I'm listening to the radio things and I'm typing up little intros and, or I'm typing up or thinking about the blog for the next day or, or I'm back there working on a message and there's all these things in front of me. And I'm paying attention to all those things. And I've just got off work, but now I'm, I'm back at work. And, and it's just always work. And Corinne will come back there, and she's excited. And she's got stuff to talk to me about that happened in her day. And she's like, hey, you know, I had a neat day. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. You see, that's the point. That's because I'm not, I'm not listening. And she's talking. And she's talking. And, and I hear it. Right, but I'm not really paying attention to it, and 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 I'm and I'm and I'm seeing her, but I'm I'm really looking at all these other things more than I'm looking at her, and 
and there's just there 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 was this moment on Wednesday where I was at work and she sent me a message and and we just had our ultrasound right and she was 10 weeks pregnant and she said that she was bleeding and all of a sudden I was focused like a laser and I could care so little about the blog and the radio programs. I could care so little about my computer and my little office nook. I, I, I was at work and it was the last place in the world I wanted to be. And it's usually, I, I usually love being there and, and I, I love my little nook work but she became just the center of my universe. And I was looking for her everywhere. I, I was staring at my phone waiting for an update. You know, I was, I was aching for the sound of her voice telling me that everything was okay. And I fear that that's exactly what I do with God, that he's just a voice in the background while I'm busying myself. And I'm not focused on him like I ought until something happens where I ache to hear from him, where I'm desperate to see him. I'm constantly juggling all these things, and maybe some of you can relate, and, and until he breaks through my juggling routine and says there's so, there's so much more that is truly important. There's, there's more than your plans and your schedule. There's substance and eternal value. You need to listen to me. You need to use your ears to hear me. You're just filling them with all this other junk that you think is really important. And it's not. It's just busy work. He says, boy, you are so blessed when you use your eyes to see past all this stuff and gaze upon him. So blessed when you use your ears to ignore all the distractions and just listen to them. And it's under this context uh, that Jesus begins to explain the parable of the sower. And I think we really need to understand the context before we get into the parable, because this sets us up to understand why Jesus told this parable at this time. There's a twofold understanding for the, for the, the, the parable and, and we're all on both sides of it. Right. Um, it's all about our hearts as represented in this soil because each one of us can find ourselves here and probably in, in, in a couple of spots, right? But also, we're the people that are scattering seeds too because we're the believers, right? We're the ones that are out there sharing Jesus in this world and, and with this world. And, and, and so Jesus paints this very realistic picture and that's, precisely why it's one of my favorite parables because Jesus doesn't soften it, right? He just plainly says it. So let's unpack it. We're going to read the whole text, then we're going to go back and pull out some specific verses. So 18 uh, through 23. So listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not uh, understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. 
This is the seed sown along the path. And the one who receives the seed that fell on rocky places is the man who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since he has no root, he lasts only a short time. And when trouble or persecution comes because of the word, he quickly falls away. The one who receives the seed that falls among the thorns is the man who hears the word and the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it out making it unfruitful but the one who receives the seed that fell on good soil is the man who hears the word and understands it he produces a crop yielding a hundred sixty or thirty times what was sown uh, so when i started this text in the sermon, I, I, I looked at my old message, and the first thing I said a year and a half ago when I taught on this text was, and I'll quote myself, huh? how many people do that? Does that mean that I'm incredibly narcissistic? It's just apt, right? I said, brothers and sisters, I wasn't long in the ministry before I came to the conclusion that I would not be a great success in it. Um, and, and I still feel exactly the same way. Right there, there would be those people that I would share with, right, and and then then as soon as they they heard what I had to say, they would go right back to their life of sin, as if I I hadn't said a thing, and it was a heartbreaking realization. I really felt alone in it. I really felt like I was this lone failure, right? This totally inadequate communicator. Uh, and something I didn't share with you a year and a half ago when I when I did this message was that this realization, that conclusion led me to the place where uh, when I was engaged to be married with Corinne, uh, it, it was actually before a teaching on a Sunday morning, I came up to her and I said, uh, I think this is going to be my last teaching ever. And I think I need to leave the ministry because I'm completely unfruitful. Um, and, and she'll remember the conversation. We had it on the hill out yonder and, and it was it was a troublesome moment for me. Um, out yonder, it's like five blocks away or something. I don't know, but it's right over there on that hill. There's a lot of hills, Michael, be more specific. Um, <laughs> but I said, you know, if I was really called by God uh, to do, uh, you know, the, this whole preaching thing, then then there would probably be more fruit, right? There would be, there'd be something that you can point to and be like, hey, look at that. This guy's doing something that's right, you know, because those people are, uh, you know, they're good fruit. And, and never mind the fact that, you know, Jeremiah and all of his years of preaching never had a single convert. And uh, that Paul's sermons were, well, he was usually beaten after them instead of applauded for them. Uh, I, I, I came to the conclusion that, that me, I'm the guy, I'm the banana head in. And uh, I'm teaching to all these kids, all these high schoolers, and then they're going back and they're falling into these major sins, right? And, and that's my fault. And I shouldn't be in the ministry because I'm not effective. And then one day I got an email from uh, a youth pastor friend of mine. And I did share this. Uh, and he invited me to this youth pastor's meeting. And I was like, great, you know, because I thought, you know, I'll go there and maybe we'll talk about like teaching techniques and they can tell me how to do something worthwhile when, when I'm up here. And, uh, you know, and, and I thought, well, well, maybe even if we don't talk about that, I can, I can pull one of them aside and say, you know, how, how do I, how do I do this whole thing? You know, and, and you're probably the person to tell me because I would look at their ministry and it all just looked great to me. 
it's like these people really got it together. You know, they, they have these youth groups that are, I'm sure, filled with kids that are just like, you know, uh, walking on clouds and, you know, playing harps and, you know, singing with angelic voices. And, and I was like, so these are the people they can they can tell me. And I went into this meeting and I have never been more wrong in my entire life. Uh, every single youth pastor in that meeting was just as confused and frazzled and disoriented and depressed even as I was myself. And, and it wasn't a meeting to discuss teaching techniques or, or missionary, you know, endeavors or anything. It was a support group. <laughs> and, and every single one of them, you know, I mean, and I just remember looking at them and, 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 you know, and someone saying, you know, and I, I, I preach and I teach and all and nothing. And, and they laugh at me, but not, not, not where it's intended. You know, and I have a joke and they do just texting and then I stumble over a word and they, they point and laugh and mock me and it's humiliating and all they care about is where they're going to eat after and, and you know, and then they just, they, ah, oh, they hate me and everyone's, you know, over me and no one's growing and there's no fruit and I'm not supposed to be in the ministry and, and I felt right at home, but I never went back. It was, it was, it was too much honesty for one meeting. <laughs> yeah, just people holding themselves and rocking back and forth. It was, it was devastating. Um, but, but each, and I still get an email from them every month inviting me back. But I don't go. Um, but, but I remember. You know, listening to them, and, and I was in complete agreement with them. I'd come to the same conclusion of them where, where all of this was happening and it was all my fault because I'm not doing something right. You know, and, and, and if they're not seeing with their eyes and hearing with their ears, then, then I'm sure it's something in me that I've failed. And, and maybe you felt the same way. I don't know, because, because we all share this same thing. I, I think a lot of times, maybe if I was just a better speaker, like Sam, you know, maybe if I was more uh, charismatic, like, like Danny, um, he's got the market cornered on that. Uh, I think maybe if I was older and, and more, you know, wise, you know, like Billy Graham or something, you know, there's got to be some magic sentence that would make someone stop and take stock of their situation, uh, there, there's got to be some perfect illustration or application that I'm missing. And, and eventually I looked upon the ministry and I said, honestly, and in total humility that, that I'm incapable of correcting a single person's life. And the conclusion of that was very depressing, uh, but it was, it was right. Right. Um, and like I said, maybe you some maybe you've come to a, a similar one, and you wonder, well, what do I do? What do I say? How do I get through to them? And you weep for them, and you worry about them. And listen, this is the this is the point of it. This is what I'm getting at. Your heart is right and righteous. You know, these people are your friends. You know, they're your family. You feel this way about your kids. I'm sure some of you. I feel this way about my parents and I'm just constantly burdened by the fact 
that I'm incapable of breaking through. And I have these moments where, you know, I read about, about Moses wishing to be condemned and, and Paul too, you know, on their behalf. You know, it just comes from this heart that, that so desires to get through and feels completely unable to and says, just God, just take me instead of them. And God says he can't do that because the decision is only up to them. The fact that God says he can't condemn you on their behalf doesn't change the fact that we often condemn ourselves anyways. Often feel like we've failed anyways or blaming ourselves anyways. God says, listen, this decision, it's between that person and me. Your job, your part, is just to do what I've told you to do. It is just to scatter seats. And, and, and you do your part. And you leave the rest between them and them and their Lord. But this is the, the amazing thing about this parable. He says, you do your part. You get out there and you scatter seeds. And I'm going to tell you what you're going to encounter when you do that. You're going to encounter four types of people. You're going to come against hard soil is the first one. If you're a, if you're a note taker this evening, you're going to come across those that are shallow soil. He says, when you go out there and you preach the gospel, you're going to be preaching to people that are third preoccupied people. And then fourth, you're going to come across people that are prepared people. I'll give you those four points again for those of you that are vigorously writing. So the first one is hard soil, right? And then the shallow soil, preoccupied people, and prepared people. The first one in verse 18 says, listen then to what the parable means. The parable of the sower means when anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away uh, what was sown in their hearts. This is the seed sown along the path. So this first seed is scattered on the path, and it's this hard path beaten down by countless people, hardened by the world, all that they've had to endure in the world. You meet these people every day. You scatter seed upon them, and it stays there just long enough to make absolutely no difference in their life. Um, never goes into their heart because it's deflected by the surface. The surface of their heart is just hard. And I fear that many that have been coming to church for years could easily find themselves in this category. You come every week, you always have, and maybe you always will, and it's your tradition but because you've walked that path so many times and pounded it down hard, it's no longer your passion. And as soon as we walk out those doors, the devil in one form or another flutters by and snatches up that which has just been given to you. And uh, if you're honest, maybe you would say, that's got me all over it. I come to church and, and I see people affected 
by the ministry. God is moving upon their heart and in their lives and they're growing and, 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 and they're, you know, and, and, but it's, it's not me and it used to be me, but, uh, but not anymore. And, and there's this strange thing that happens at church and, and it's usually a good indication that we've found ourselves in this category that we can come and we can sit for an hour. And as soon as we get up to leave, having the foggiest idea what was just said. Wait, how does that happen? <laughs> that doesn't happen anywhere else, uh, but, it, but it seems to happen here quite often. Um, and it's because that seed has already been snatched up and taken away. That's a good sign that our hearts have grown hard. Um, that we're just going through the rituals of walking down that path and we're just pounding it in to rough soil where seed can't penetrate and can't bear good fruit. You know, uh, in every message, I try and find at least one place where I can cram a Spurgeon quote. And, and I was able to, to manipulate it in such a way so that, so that I could put one right here. This is a bit lengthy, but it's Spurgeon. He's always worth, you know, uh, worth a listen. So Spurgeon has this to say about the people in this first category. He says, they're delighted to come up with us to worship, but yet to, uh, but yet the tear never trickles down their cheek. Their soul never mounts up to heaven on wings of praise, nor do they truly join in our confessions of sin. They do not think of the wrath to come, nor the future state of their soul. Their heart is as iron. The minister might as well preach to a heap of stones as preach to them. What brings these senseless sinners here? Surely... We are, uh, we are as hopeful of converting lions and leopards as these untamed, insensible hearts. Do these people come to our assemblies because it is respectable to attend a place of wor worship? Or is it that their coming helps them to make comfortable or make them comfortable in their sins? And he says, oh, my hearers, your case is one that makes angels weep. How sad to have the sun of the gospel shining on your faces and yet to have blind eyes that never see the light. It's easy to end up in this first category, being hard in soil. And it's so easy because you have to do absolutely nothing to get here. Over time and left unattended, our hearts grow cold all right it's the natural order of things and it's and it's part of what we talked about when we were in hosea you know, where he says e you've been neglectful you need to rush out your doors you need to break up the fallow ground of your heart you need to turn over over the soil it's grown hard um the second citizen we're having fun now uh he begins in verse five uh and he says um, some fell on rocky places where it didn't have much soil and it sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. And he goes on to explain what he means here in verse 20. He says, the one who received the seed that fell on rocky places is the man who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. All right. But since he has no root, it lasts only a short time. And trouble or persecution come because of the word, uh, he quickly falls away. 
So Jesus now speaks about the shallow man who is seemingly converted to Christianity. They come in out of nowhere. They, they receive the gospel readily, and they're excited about it. You know, and they would say, oh, dear minister, I'm not the man that I used to be. I've been converted by Christ, and I'm a changed life. And, and they read the Bible all day, and they pray all night, and maybe you've met someone like this, and it's an amazing sight to behold. I'll tell you, it excites you to no end to see someone go through a whirlwind conversion like this. And, and, and you think, well, surely this is a man or this is a woman converted uh, thoroughly by the Holy Spirit. You know, th this is someone that's just, there's never been someone more converted. This is the person. I mean, yesterday they were, they were living this life of filth and sin. And today, I mean, they're, they're, they're the, the model saint. You know, we could all learn a lot from this individual and there's a closet. Uh, in in uh, my parents' house uh, from from when we were kids, and it was filled uh, with with my brother's karate gi, right? His his soccer outfit, his guitar, and his leather jacket, and, and all kinds of you know whims of fancy that that in a moment he wholeheartedly gave himself to. You know, and, and we would go through that closet and then, and, and you, okay, you pull out the karate outfit, right? And, and there was a moment in his life, you know, and I was there for it and it was humiliating. Uh, there, but there was this moment where he thought, my whole life is going to be given to the, the, the martial arts of karate. And I'm going to, I'm going to be cracking boards and, you know, karate chopping boulders and, and I'm going to be the next Bruce Lee and all this. And that lasted two months. And then it ended up in the closet. Uh, there was a month in high school when he got super into cars. And he was like, I'm a car guy now. I need a leather jacket. So he went out and he got a leather jacket. And, and that left, lasted just long enough to, for him to get into a car accident. And, and then he put that away. And then there was, this, there was this moment in junior high where he had to have a guitar. Because he's going to be the next rock and roll star. So he went out and he got this guitar, and then that lasted a couple of months, and that's in the closet. And then there was, there was the famous soccer outfit. Uh, Turners have never been known for their, their athletic ability. Um, none of us have ever played a sport, and my, my brother thought that he would be the one to break this tradition. He was like, this is a long-lasting Turner tradition of non-athleticism. You know, and he was like, I'll be the guy. And he joined soccer as a kid he went to a couple of practices and he played one game that is not an exaggeration he played a single game and then he hung up that outfit for life um and it was in the closet right and and i fear that that's where jesus ends up in many people's lives He's a, a, a whim of fancy that people go through. He's a stop along their journey, you know, and, and there was this moment of just exuberant excitement, you know, like in the early 90s when MC Hammer pants were huge and you had to have a pair and you stepped over your mother to get one. And, and then, boom, the Hammer pants are in the closet and Jesus is standing right next to him. And they're just abandoned in the days of adversity or apathy or whatever it is. I mean, you maybe just get 
too busy. Something else, you know, is, it's like, ooh, shiny, and then you go after that thing, you know. But the, these people, you know, Jesus says this is a reality. And, and you look at them and you go, I thought that they were more than that. They were so serious. They were so, you know, zealous. And I thought that this person was, you know, but, but it's gone as soon as it came. And, 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 and if, we're, if we're being honest, right, which I think that this is a good place to be honest. Church is usually the last place that I, I think anyone really wants to be honest but 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 i think if we were really being honest we would say that that many of us have a memory maybe uh, of our real brush with christianity <laughs> and that's a sad thing to say right uh you know you, you have this moment where it's just boom it hits you and it was alive and it was like seeing in color for the first time and and you were just on fire and in love and and excited and 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 then I don't know what happened. The sun came up and scorched and withered and and the the weird thing, right, is that we we keep on coming. <laughs> uh, you know, and, and, and I, and I can, I can say this and I don't know if this is making you uncomfortable and I'm sorry if it is, right? Blame Corinne. It's really, that's what she's there for. But, um, but, but I spent two years of my Christianity right here in shallow soil. I, I was converted. I fell in love with the Lord and, and I was on fire for the Lord for this short time and then I completely withered and burnt out, and I kept on coming because of obligation. And maybe you didn't, you, you wouldn't have known it. I was the sound guy, so I felt like I had to be there. I was never, I, I was a sound guy with like a lowercase s, very much so, unlike Kill. <laughs> He's like the sound guy in all caps. Um, you know, <laughs> I, but I, I showed up and I fiddled with things, and, and I sat in my little booth. And, and and I just felt completely withered and shriveled, and, and it wasn't there anymore. And there was just this moment where where God put His finger on my heart, and, and I used my eyes to actually see, and my ears to actually hear. And when I did, He He said something like, "Are you nothing more than shallow soil?" And am I nothing more than a whim? Am I nothing more than a phase that you went through? Is this all that I am to you? Am I just something to look back upon with foggy memories? Am I not something to always look forward to with great expectations? I think we can consider the text honestly and say, I might very easily find myself there too. That there was this moment moment of life and exuberance and it's changed. And now the third group, the preoccupied people. Verse 22, and the one who received the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word. 
right? But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, choke it, and they make it unfruitful. This is the preoccupied people are far too busy for the Lord. Um, and, and you look at the text, and I think it's a great thing to notice in the text that that they are good soil, right? There's stuff there. There's life there. There's, I mean, stuff's growing there. It's just kind of the wrong stuff. There's just a lot of stuff, right? There's much activity, but there's very little spirituality. There's good soil, but there's just all these thorns that are choking out the gospel. Um, these have been, these thorns have been characterized as the cares of this world, even though my version doesn't put it that way. And you might talk to these people and the response would be something like, well, no thanks, I'm really quite busy. I've got a lot on my plate this weekend and, and I'll get back to you. And, and, and when I'm in my office nook and my wife's talking, I am perfectly this person. And because I'm perfectly this person, you might well say, okay, well, that's just him and I don't have to worry about it. But I think that we can all find a little bit of ourselves here. Uh, it, it's just so easy to get bogged down with stuff and let that become the the all-encompassing you know, uh, thing of your existence. There's probably a better word for it, ask Mary. But, you know, it just, it grows up all around you and it begins to choke the life out of you. And when you put so much on your plate and I do it so easily. And then there's no room for him in the equation. And and it's always, you know, I've got to take my kids here and do that. I've got to, you know, it's a family thing. It's a friend thing. It's a girl. It's a guy. It's a church thing. Not a one of them are necessarily a bad thing. Right? And I think that that's what most of us fill our lives with. We fill our lives with a lot of good stuff. It's just a lot of stuff. And it's growing in all around us. And I just think, man, what good it would be if God just took a weed whacker to our lives and just hacked away all the stuff, even just for a moment, so that I can just see clearly, so that I can just listen to him closely, so that something truly worthwhile, something transcendent besides just a thorn, you know, that I'm busying myself about, you know, could actually grow there and hack away all the nonsense so that I can finally be this fourth thing, this good soil. Um, and this good soil it's the place where, where really good stuff grows. And that's the great thing about this parable. I love this parable because uh, I, I find myself in just about every soil. I find myself hard at times. I find myself, myself shallow at times. There are moments when I'm just so busy, everything is being choked out of me, and nothing really useful and eternal is happening within me. And there are times when I'm, when I'm, when I'm good soil and, and good stuff is growing there. Just so that you don't think, why am I listening to this guy? He's terrible <laughs> most of the time. Really? Can't we find a guy who's just that last one? I don't know. That's why you have Sam. Um, but, 
but but I could find myself in all those places. But here's the reason why I love it, right? And why I hope you'll love it too if you found yourself in those places. You're not condemned when you do. That's the wonderful thing about this. We can find ourselves in every single one of those spots, but there's no condemnation for any of those spots. It's not something like, oh, well, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a thorny patch of soil and I'll go to the grave thusly, you know, and that's the end of me. That's the story of me. You can write that upon my gravestone. He was a thorny man. You know, it's, it's, it doesn't have to be that, that, you know, devastating and drastic and damning. It could be something where you look at it and you recognize it and you see it for what it is. You examine the state of your soil as found in this parable. And then he says, hey, you know, there's, there's a weed whacker there. Those thorns, they can be hacked down. You could be good soil. I mean, stuff's already growing there. There's no reason why there can't be really good stuff there. You can look at the hard soil. You can look at it in light of Hosea that we talked about last time. Hosea chapter 10 for when you go home. And you can say, well, break up the fallow ground if it's hard and unplowed. Don't be condemned by it. Don't look at it and go, oh, well, that's just it. This will be another sermon, and as soon as I leave, I'll forget about this one too. No, it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be snatched up as soon as we walk out the door. He says you can break it up. You can turn it over, and it'll be completely worthwhile soil. It's all in just what you want to do with it. You can find yourself here, but you don't have to stay here. He'd say, I don't want to be that kind of soil anymore. I want to use my eyes to see. I want to use my ears to hear. I want to produce something that'll last and that'll be a blessing to others. I want him to be more than just a phase to me. I want more than foggy memories. I don't want to just busy myself with thorns, just spinning my wheels and counting down my days. I, I want to take a moment and blast my fields with, with a plow or with a weed whacker. I want to shut out the world, turn off the TV, log out of Facebook, and just talk to them, ignore the millions of different thorns that are pressing upon me and just spend an evening with them and watch those seeds really take root in my heart and expect that God will bring forth a beautiful, glorious fruit, which he says in 16, he will do. He says, boy, you'll be blessed if you do that. Okay. So here's the thing, right? I said that we can find ourselves here, but we can also find our audience here. And I'm, I'm wrapping it to a conclusion. You're like, wow, that was just the first point. It's going to be a rough night. No, no, it's, I'm almost done. I'm sorry. But remember, right? We're on the other end of this parable. Also, we're also the ones scattering seed out into the world. And we can expect to find our listeners here too. Right, so we can be comforted. We can be comforted. We're, we're, not a, we're not a failure. Jesus wasn't a failure. Jesus says, when I preach, when I scatter seed, this is what I see. When we scatter seed, why would we think that it should be any different? Why should we expect 
to, to, to share with people and for every single one of them to just, you know, burst and explode with fruit, you know, and, 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 and why should we condemn ourselves if they don't? We've not failed in the slightest. We've done exactly what we were supposed to do. There is no magic sentence to say. The magic is just in the seed itself. He says, just take that and scatter it and watch what the Holy Spirit will do in that person through that seed that you've imparted. And stop condemning yourself. You're doing what's right in sowing. And Galatians chapter 6 says, don't grow weary in doing what is right. Right? Because in due time, he'll bring about a harvest. So you just got to keep on doing what, what you're called to do, which is to scatter seed. And the growth is between the ground and God. But we have our part here, and maybe we can spend our evening here, the five minutes that are left of it, uh, in taking that ground before our God and preparing that ground in prayer. Right, because no, no heart, and and if you put it in the in the the wording of the parable, that no soil is so far gone that God can't break through and bring about a righteous and glorious crop in those people that that we love so passionately and share with so fervently. Let's go ahead and close with a word of prayer. Most gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this evening. Lord, I thank you for this parable. I thank you, Lord, for the conviction it brings to me. Lord, that I see myself here so... so exposed, you know, for the duality within me, the hypocrisy of me. Lord, that I could find myself hard at times, shallow at others. I'd find myself just thorny and exceedingly busy with the cares of this world. And I thank you, Lord, that that conviction comes because with it, there can be this, this healing from it, this new work that you begin at the onset of it, that at that moment, you could begin to work in our hearts you can plant that worthwhile seed that'll bring forth a glorious crop. But Lord, I also pray for those people that, that we might never say, but we certainly feel like we fail. Those people that are constantly on our hearts and we feel responsible for them not walking with you. It's a terrible burden to bear, and it's one that you never asked us to. I pray, God, that you would do a work in all of our soil. Lord, breaking it up, cutting away the, the complications of it, that we can just grow what is good and worthwhile upon it in it.
I pray for those people, Lord, and I, I pray, God, that even now you're preparing their, their hearts, Lord, for the seeds that will be scattered. And Lord, I trust that you'll do so, and it's in your name I pray. Amen. Amen.